Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for being here. I hope you've had a great week, uh, whether you're at home watching online or here in the room. It's, it's really great to have you with us. Um, as I jump into something today that's uh, really, really important to me and my family and my wife and I have been talking about this and wrestling with it and thinking about it for years, um, it's, it's an idea that has really impacted us. It's actually given us some words to put around a concept about Christianity, about our faith, about how we understand God and ourselves that's helped us talk about it a whole bunch. Um, and it's something that if this, if this idea is true, man, it's, and Christianity presents it that way, and I don't know where you're at in your faith and if you're just checking it out, but this idea is one of those ideas that's so big and so amazing. If it's true, it's huge and it changes things. Um, and we have found this thing to be true in our life, and, and man, it's changed our life so much, and again, given us words to talk about it in a way that makes sense to us, and hopefully it can land like that with you. And I hope my words today, because it's so important to us, I hope my words do it justice. Uh, to discover what we're gonna talk about, what I wanna do is I wanna look at a sequence of events that happened in the life of Jesus and his closest followers right around a week before he got crucified. So it's near the end of his life. Um, it's literally just on his way to and entering into Jerusalem for the last time. And there's a bunch of things that happen, fascinating, fascinating things that actually I think reveal a lot about us, reveal a lot about Jesus and who he is, and reveal a lot about how we wanna relate to him and he wants to relate, you know, how we want him to relate to us, and a lot about how he actually wants to relate to us. It's fascinating, fascinating stuff. And the, the way we're gonna do this is we get to read um, the words of one of the guys that was with Jesus at the time. There's a guy named Matthew. And Matthew was walking around with Jesus. He was there when these events took place. And so he's writing this down and explaining what happened. And I love how honest he is. I love how he doesn't portray himself and the other disciples that like these perfect people because they weren't. And he describes it so honestly. It makes me feel better about me because I'm you know, like that too. So I wanna jump in and in Matthew chapter 20, uh, verse 17 is where we're gonna start. And we're gonna stay in Matthew most of the time. I'm gonna pull up one other verse, but we're gonna stay there. So if you wanna follow along in your Bibles, you can. Uh, but we will put it up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Um, so let's jump in, Matthew chapter 20, verse 17, as we start to look at these series of events, the sequence of events. It says this, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the 12 aside, very intentionally, very importantly, clearly, and he said to them, guys, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man, which is a term that he used to refer to himself, we'll get to that in a minute, he says, the son of man, me, I will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Now, son of man, um, again, it was a term that he used to refer to himself a bunch, but this word, the, this term carried with it massive implications in the Jewish world. Massive, because there was a prophecy that if you were a Jewish boy, you were a Jewish girl, you grew up knowing this prophecy that referred to someone who would be the son of man. And the son of man would be basically divine. He would be God. And so this wasn't just a term you kind of throw out and mean nothing. When Jesus used this term, he knew what he was saying. He was basically claiming that he was God with all the power, with all the authority, with all the everything that goes along with that. I wanna show you the prophecy that they looked at. It was written by a guy named Daniel about 600 years before Jesus came. And, and this is what this prophecy said that talks about the son of man that Jesus was claiming to be. Daniel chapter seven, verse 13. In my vision, Daniel says, 
At night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days, a term for God, and was led into his presence. And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. There's a lot of godness that this describes. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. It's a huge claim. And Jesus going, hey, that's me. (laughs) Hey guys, I'm the son of man. That's a big deal. And in the Jewish world, they knew what he was saying. So when Jesus said this, it was big. It was intentional. It was meaningful. And then he goes on to describe what that son of man, what that God, what, what, what he would do and how he would live out his godness, if you will. In verse 18 again, he says, we are going up to Jerusalem. He calls the guys aside and he said, hey guys, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And this is what's gonna happen. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, to be flogged, and crucified, and on the third day he will be raised to life. So Jesus just claims to be God, and then he says he's gonna die. Very, very clearly he's gonna die, and it's this moment, I can imagine, where like if you were there, and you heard Jesus say, hey guys, I just wanna be clear, I'm God, I'm the Son of Man, and this is what's about to happen, like in a week, we're headed to Jerusalem right now. Imagine the tone, imagine the feel, imagine the weight, imagine the, the somber moment, the serious moment that is about, like he's talking about, I'm God and I'm gonna die to give myself for the world. And you would think in that intentional moment as the disciples are like, oh my gosh, wow, it's happening. This is crazy, yes, God, this is about to happen. You would think that would elicit a moment of, I don't know, awe, and, and reverence, and you know, humility, and oh my gosh, you're God, whoa. And this is about to happen, you're about to give yourself for the whole world and for me? And a moment of surrender maybe, and a moment of, of honoring and saying, okay, what do you need from me? What do I give to you? How can I live as a result of this? You'd think that's what would happen in the disciples. I would at least, but that's not what happened. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, kind of hilarious that right there in that moment, As they say that, that's not what it elicited. What happened was, as they saw the godness, Jesus talking about his godness, his power, and his love and his sacrifice for them, instead of surrendering and being in awe, the first thing that came into their mind was this. What can I get out of this? (laughs) I look at that and I go, did you just hear what he said? He just said he's gonna die as a sacrifice for the world and he's God. And you're like, what can I get out of this? I I say that because look at the next line. Then, right after Jesus said this powerful, huge, massive stuff, then the mother of Zebedee's sons, James and John, came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down said, I need to ask a favor. (laughs) Hey Jesus, I know you're kind of talking about your suffering and dying and mocking and flogging. I I know, I know, time out, Just, just quick. It's huge what you're about to do. But just, do you mind if I ask you a favor? I know you're God, but seeing as you are God and you're gonna do this stuff, do you mind doing something for me? Just just quick. <laughs> I can't imagine the moment. <laughs> it's this serious, huge, massive moment and she's like, time out, time out, time out. Just a favor, quick. 
you don't mind. I, I, know, I know you're about to do something really important, but if you don't mind just doing something for me, Jesus, because he's so kind and so understanding and so gracious, here's what he said. What is it that you want? I mean, he's just said, I'm gonna die. <laughs> it's like, hold on, what is it that you need? Imagine, what is it that you want? And she said, grant that one of my two sons of mine sit, may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So again, right there as Jesus is saying, I'm God and I'm about to die for your sins, for the world, to, to reconcile people to God. As Jesus is thinking about his very purpose, thinking about how he's gonna change the world, thinking about the needs of everybody in the whole world, James and John and mom comes and says, time out. Can I ask you, can they have great seats, please? It's crazy. <laughs> And Jesus, I think, just smiles understandingly because he knows us. And he says, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking, James and John and mom. You don't, you don't know what you're asking. <clears throat> and here's the thing, as I read that, I realize that I think that's a bit of a picture of me sometimes. <laughs> I think sometimes I'm just like these disciples where I hear or I read or I know that God is God and he's powerful, and he's loving, and he's good, and then rather than surrendering to the fact that he's God and trusting his will and his life and his wisdom and what he wants to do, and rather than surrendering to all of that, I inject myself and what I want and what I need because he's God and he loves me, so come on. Time out, I know, I know you're busy, but what about me? And I inject myself into that moment and I want God to use his godness for me and what I want and what I think is best. That's what I want when I hear that God is God and God is good and God loves me, then I want him to use all of that stuff that's true for me. In other words, to put it a little bluntly, this is sometimes what I do. I kinda want God to be my all-powerful servant. It's kinda what I want because if you're God, and you love me, then won't you give me what I want? It's kind of what I do. And that's what I think these disciples and their mom were doing. You're God and we follow you. I like, we're the 12, we're, we're in, we follow you. So will you please do what we want you to do for us? To put it another way, we wanna be first. Kind of like wanna be up there. We want. To, to, to be the most important. We wanna be above you, kind of. Yes, you're God, but would you use your godness to serve us? We want to look, and we want you to look at, at, at what we need. And when you look at who's calling the shots in my life and who's getting what they want and who serves who, it kinda ends up like, I wanna be first and I want you to be my servant. Now, I don't know, I know for me, that's a reality in me sometimes. I don't know about you. My guess is most of us find ourselves in that position sometimes where you want God to be God, you want him to be God, but you want him to use his Godness for what you want. But Jesus says to these guys, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking, which by the way, we never wanna hear words like that, right? Because we know what we're asking. 
at least we think we do. We know what we need, we know what we want, we know what's the most important thing in our world and for everybody else's world, we kind of know that. So when Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking, it's kind of like, what, what are you saying? Because we want his response to be, yes, yeah, sure, what, what, what do you need? I'll do whatever you say, you're my first priority. That's what we want from God. To be first is what we want. But if he really is God, like if he really is God, and if he really is good, that kind of thinking where we want him to be God but uses Godness for me, if he really is God and if he really is good, that doesn't actually make sense at all because if he is God, he knows you and he knows what's best and he knows what you need, he knows what I need and he knows what's best for us and he knows how it all comes together. And if we are human, if he's God and really is God and good, and if we're human, and in, how you, in our humanness, we know we don't know everything. Sometimes we act like we do, sometimes we think we do, but we know we don't know everything. I mean, our opinion on what we knew has changed so many times. When you were 16 and you knew what the most important thing in your life was, Anybody wanna say what it was? <laughs> nope, none, no thanks. I knew, I know what I needed. And we've changed so many times of what I know is the best and the most important thing. We're human, we don't know. And if he's really God, and if I'm really human, then that kind of thinking of me being first and him being my servant is really dangerous actually. <laughs> And probably not the best, it'll just cause chaos in our lives. If God truly actually submitted to every one of my emotional needs and whims, it'd be disastrous. And if he's really God and if I'm really human, man, we don't want that. The best picture I have of this that I think sort of shows it in our real world is when a wise parent parents a child. Because a wise parent never gives a toddler or a teenager exactly what they want, right? You know why? Because those kids, they don't know what they're asking. They, they don't. They don't have the whole picture and the wise parent at least has most of it. <laughs> and if a child's will is first in the family, you may have seen this in a, a family or a Noah family or a, a cousin or a someone or maybe in your family, a child's will was first in that family's life. How did that look? It was a mess. It's like, I've got to do everything they want. No, 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 no. That doesn't just only create chaos for the family and around the child. Eventually, that creates chaos inside the child's heart. If a parent puts the child's will first, it doesn't work. The parent's will needs to be first for security, for life, for happiness to actually work. If God is really God and I'm really human, then the difference between me and God and his wisdom and my wisdom far outweighs the difference between a parent's wisdom and a child's wisdom, far outweighs. And if he's really God, man, I don't want my will first <laughs> if he's really God. And so the statement, you don't know what you're asking is a really big and important statement. And these guys, back to the story, these guys were asking Jesus, will you let us sit at your right and your left? In other words, will you let us be the most important? Would you let us have priority? Would you let us be 
first. We wanna be great, we wanna sit at your right and at your left when you're king. And what's fascinating is in the context of Jesus saying who he is, the son of man, he's God, he carries all this authority. Instead of them going, wow, you're in authority, you're great, the first thing that comes to mind is how do you use your greatness to make me great? Is what they were asking. They weren't thinking about his greatness, they were thinking about their own. Hey, I know him. <laughs> I am awesome. I'm amazing. Would you use your greatness to make me great and make me feel good, look good, and have what I want? What is that in us? <laughs> what is that thing in us that wants to be first, that wants to be the center of the universe? What is that thing in us that wants God to use his power to do my own bidding? because I think we all have it. I mean, just evaluate the prayers that we typically pray. God, please use your power to do what I need you to do. It's typically our prayers, but there's something in us that was meant when we discover who he is, not to say, God, would you surrender that power to me, but say, God, how can I surrender to you, is what he's telling these guys. And these guys are asking, hey, would you let me sit there? Will you let me get that? And Jesus, after saying, you don't know what you're asking, he says to them, can, can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? You don't know what you're asking, Jesus says, and can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? In other words, can you go through what I'm going to go through? We can, they answered really confidently. <laughs> and Jesus probably smiled lovingly, knowingly, and looked at them and said, you will indeed drink from my cup but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. And I think he was saying, not for me to grant in this moment in this way. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. I think what he was saying is, John, James, yes, you will eventually give your life and die for me. You will give your life for me. But I need you to understand, God is God. He is the one who knows what is needed. And I want you to trust him. I want you to surrender to him and his wisdom and his goodness. Let him be God. And don't try to take that from him in your life. Let him be God. And then <laughs> the story goes on and it's, it's so funny what happens next. Verse 24 says this, when the other 10, when the 10 other disciples heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Not because they were like, I can't believe you asked him that. More like, I can't believe you asked him that first. <laughs> I wanted to have that. What, how, their mom is asking that question for them. What's up, man up, guys? What are you doing? Come on. I think they were saying, I want that. And so they were mad at that. So I think Jesus sighs, smiles lovingly, caringly, says, guys, let's chat. Verse 25, Jesus called them together and said this. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, I think what he's saying is you know that the normal way of doing things in this world is that it's all about me. That people wanna be first, have power, be great, and then when they are, they wanna use their power, use their position, whatever they have at their disposal for their own good, their own comfort, and for their own desires. And Jesus looks at them and says, guys, not so with you, don't do that. Instead, whoever, and here it is, whoever wants to be great 
among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first, I want to be first, I want to be first priority, must be slave. What priority does a slave have as Jesus is looking at this? Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. It's completely different. And I know you have needs. I know you have these deep things inside of you. And here's what I want you to know. There is a way of finding what you're looking for. The desire to be taken care of. The desire to have all your needs met. There is a way to have your needs met in the deepest possible way. But it's not how you think you will get it. In our world, the only way we think we'll get that is if we're first, if we're seen as first, if we have everything and we can use everything to at my disposal for my own comfort and my own ways. I'll even use God to take care of my needs and my ways and to fill me up. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not how it works. It will never work like that. God is God. He can't surrender to you even. It's not gonna work like that because, and here's the deal, here's why it doesn't work. That kind of faith where I'm at the middle of my world, where I'm at the center, is empty. Because if it's defined by my human desires and my human agendas, it'll always be tainted by my human imperfections and my human shortcomings. A faith with me and what I think and how I think it should go in the middle is empty. It will never work, and yet that's the kind of faith we have. God, do for me what I say you must do. No, Jesus loves us way too much to let our human imperfections and whims and emotions and shortcomings define and dictate how he relates to us. He loves us too much, just like a parent loves a child too much, to let their dictates and their ways and their whims define how they parent. Jesus says, no, guys, if you wanna be first, if you wanna find all that you're really looking for deeply, then you must be a slave. In other words, you must not try to be first, but last. In other words, you mustn't try to fill yourself up, you must try to empty yourself. You must allow God to be God. Allow Him to be first and you to be submitted to and surrendered to him. You must not use his godness for your own benefit, but rather surrender to and trust in his godness and his goodness. That's what I think he's telling them. (laughs) And that sometimes could, and it does for me, and maybe for you, bring up a question, okay, if I do that, if I surrender, if I say, I'm, I'm not gonna be first, then it may bring up this fear of, what if he doesn't do what I need? What if he leaves me? What if it's all, of, what happens then? And the cool thing is what he says next shows us that that's not who he is. He loves you, look what he says. Verse 28, he says, don't be first, be last. Don't, don't, don't try and everybody serve you, but serve. Look at what he says about himself. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you ever doubt that God loves you and wants your best and will go to any lengths possible to do what he knows is best for you and for me, just look at the cross that the Son of God went to such lengths to show you, I love you. 
I got you. And I know what you need more than you know what you need. And I will go to any lengths to give you what you need. I will die for you. If you ever doubt the motives of God or doubt the, the love of God, just again, look at the cross. As God, he doesn't need to serve us. He shouldn't serve us. But that's who he is. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. It's crazy. And when things don't go our way, if we trust and know that, when we don't get what we want, we can remember, I'm not first, and I'm not God, and God is not my servant. He is God, <laughs> and he loves me, and he died for me, and I trust him, and his will, and his goodness, and his knowledge, and his ability, and I surrender to him, and I will be lost. And we can trust that he knows what he's doing, even if it doesn't feel like it. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when we can see him for who he is and choose to let him be God in our lives and not me, then we'll find a faith that isn't empty and based on my whims and my needs and my changing stuff, but it's based on who he is. That faith is full and deep because it's defined by him and not my humanness and my human imperfection and shortcomings. And he will give us what we need, but it's deeper than our every emotional woman desire because that's what he does. He is the one who came not to be served, but to serve, it's crazy. And then, man, I love the next moment in the sequence of events because Jesus is basically saying, guys, you're asking me for stuff just for you. You're asking me to use my power on your behalf and I wanna tell you, stop doing that. Trust me rather. I will take care of you, yes I will, I will do that, but I need you to not put yourself first, I need you to put yourself under me as God. That's what I need you to do. And the next moment answers the question, because we'll still go, okay, well if I do that, it's scary, will he take care of me, or is it just gonna be some spiritual care? Eternal, one day it'll be fine, what about, is he not gonna care about me in this world at all? But the next thing that happens shows that Jesus does care about us and about what happens in this world. Look what happens. Verse 29, it says this, as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, so they're having this conversation, discussing, and then they leave Jericho, a large crowd followed him, and two blind men were sitting by the roadside. When they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Now, before we look at what happens, I wanna look at how they addressed Jesus, because it's so simple, it's so beautiful, and it's so it has everything in the right place. The way they addressed him was this, Lord, you are Lord, you are God, not me. You are first, Lord, son of David. That was a term that Jewish people used to reference the fact that they believed he was the Messiah, the king that was to come to save Israel. So Lord, you are God and you are king and savior. That's who you are. And then they said this, have mercy on us not, hey God, come do what we need you to do. No, have mercy on us. We don't deserve it. That's what mercy means. Mercy means it's not my right. It's not what I get. It's not what you owe me. It's mercy. It's a gift. It's not my right. It's not your responsibility because you're my servant. No, no, no. 
We see you for who you are, Lord. Son of David, King and Savior. You're a King, you're a Savior, you are Lord. And if you want to, if you see fit, if it is your will, would you have mercy on us? It's a beautiful, beautiful way of speaking to him. Verse 31, the story continues. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them. And he asks them a very similar question to what he asked James and John's mom. What do you want me to do for you? Very similar. And as he asks that question, he looked at them and he knew where their request was coming from. He knew they saw him for who he was and weren't trying to use him for their benefit, but just said, Lord, son of David, have mercy. On us. Whereas James and John were trying to use God's power to make them great. <laughs> These guys were saying, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And in that moment, because he knew where they had their priorities, where James and John, and he also knew what was best and what was deeply needed, he looked at them. And after they said in verse 33, Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. <laughs> And immediately they received their sight and followed him. I love that this comes right after Jesus had this conversation where he said, this is not about you. I love that that came after that, where he said, you need to lose yourself, you need to lose your perceived rights, you need to lose everything, become nothing, be lost, be a servant, put yourself lost, get out of the picture. He's just taught that. And then he goes and heals someone of a need that he didn't need to. But he loved these guys and he said, I will take care of you because I know how you need to be taken care of. And in this situation for them, that's what they needed. And he knew that and he did that. For James and John, it was not the same. And he was like, no, not yet. I see something deeper that's needed there. He knows what we need. He knows what we need. And when he is in the rightful place and we are in ours, he will take care of our needs better than we ever thought he would, even if it looks different than what we thought. And because he knows us and because he knows what we need and because he loves us and will, he will give us what we really need, not based on our human wisdom, but based on his and so sometimes we will get what we ask. Those guys did. And sometimes we won't. And when we don't, that will reveal who's first in our hearts, him or me. And when we don't, that will reveal who's God in our hearts, him or me. I love that that moment came after that conversation because he says, I got you, I got you, I'm God, let me be God, I got you. And then, last little event, moment in the sequence. I don't know if Matthew did this on purpose or not, but he went right into what I think is the most beautiful picture or illustration of this. It's a visceral picture, an illustration of what this kind of relationship with him can look like. But before I read it from scripture, I wanna read an essay that someone wrote a little while ago that I think describes this so well. The essay is called, 
I'm a donkey. <clears throat> and it says this, as I've matured in my quest to live out my faith, surrender, obedience, leading others, I've realized that a spiritual life that I once pictured as sure to be glamorous, full of accolades and attaboys, is not the life that Christ has called me or any of us to. I've been met instead with much persecution, ridicule, slander, and maybe the worst for my personality, a blatant overlooking. And sometime last summer, while processing the experience of a sometimes painful reality of obeying Christ, I blurted out, I'm a donkey, I'm a donkey. I felt like the Holy Spirit swirled around me saying, yes, yes, you are a donkey. <laughs> I've called you to be a donkey and in the days and weeks and months to follow, this brought me comfort. I felt that even though in a world of stallions, I was okay being a donkey because he had called me to be a donkey. But some days were harder than others because in a culture where stallions are all over social media and glorified on television shows, and even in the church culture, when you show up as a donkey, it's exactly how you would expect it to feel. And so the tension continued. I continued to surrender and embrace my inner donkey, feeling more and more reliant on my father because I knew this was an important lesson for me to grasp. And yet there were days when I would struggle. I longed for stallion status to be seen and prized and valued as the steed which, held, which is held in such high regard in our culture's eyes, be it church culture, relevant culture, or the culture I had cultivated within. On one particularly hard day, when I was alone with my father, I asked him, why? Why did I have to be a donkey? <laughs> They're overlooked, the slowest and the most stubborn animals on the planet. In fact, I see no value in a donkey myself. What good did a donkey ever do anybody? And that's when I saw it. A sudden picture in my heart of Jesus riding in on a donkey. And all the people crowding around him, weeping and laughing, just trying to touch him so that they could be saved. Imagine he rode in on a stallion. How distracting that would be. No, instead he was on a donkey. In a world full of distractions, I don't wanna be another one in front of Jesus. I wanna be a donkey that carries my savior to the lost and broken and bedraggled. I'm a donkey and I thank God every day for that. I love that essay. And right after Jesus taught that if we wanna be first, we need to be last. If we wanna be full, we need to empty ourselves and surrender to him. Jesus rides into Jerusalem as a king, the Messiah on the back of a donkey. The next verse says it after this all happened. Matthew 21 verse five summarizes it and says, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. Again, I don't know if Matthew did this on purpose to show this is a picture of what Jesus was talking about and how we wanna be the stallion and I wanna do this and I wanna be seen and I wanna have you do what I need to do. A stallion usually has a jockey that you know, attempts to ride the stallion and it's all about the stallion. When the Kentucky Derby is run, what name do you remember? The horse. Jesus didn't ride a stallion. He rode a donkey, but not just, and he calls you and I, he calls you and I to be 
a donkey. That's what he's inviting us to be. But not just any donkey, a donkey that carries Jesus, the Son of God, with us. Jesus who knows us and loves us and gives his life for us. A donkey that carries the Savior of the world, the God of the universe, with us. We carry Jesus in our own lives as we navigate it all, and we carry Jesus to those around us. I'm telling you, if we could surrender to this picture that it's not about us, it's about Him, that we're just a donkey. (laughs) He is the Savior, gentle and loving and good. He is our King. When we have our faith ordered correctly, and God is God, where He can truly be God in our lives, and we are the donkey, faith can then work like it was meant to. And if we don't see this beautiful picture and the power of it, we will be working and working and working our whole lives to be the stallion, to be seen and known and working to be first and working to have him serve us. God doesn't serve our every whim, but we'll be working for and we'll wonder why doesn't faith work? It's never gonna work. Because Jesus doesn't ride a stallion, he rode a donkey. (laughs) What if we could live this? Because when that donkey took Jesus, the donkey's life was changed forever. I mean, we're still reading about it. (laughs) That donkey's life has changed forever and so is every person that comes into contact with that donkey, not because of the donkey, but because of the Jesus riding the donkey. What if we could live this? Imagine we could see ourselves as donkeys and not stallions? How, how would that change our faith? And how would that change the experience of other people around us? Because most of the time when people come into contact with Christians, do you know what they usually feel? The pomp of stallions rather than the humility of donkeys. And if people felt the humility of the donkey and could see Jesus, not the distraction of me, I think it would change our community. It's amazing. Jesus rode in on a donkey If we were donkeys, I think we would experience the beauty of our Savior and others would see the beauty of who He is as well. So if you're a part of Rock Point, (laughs) if you're a Christian, I wanna invite us to be donkeys, (laughs) not stallions, to be donkeys, donkeys that carry our Savior in our lives and allow Him to be God not to be the God who's supposed to serve me. No, Him be God and surrender to Him. And then this God that gave His life for us came to not be served but to serve can be who He is in our lives. Dig deep into where we truly need things and change everything. I'm telling you, when this is true of us, we experience life and faith and God different. So let's be donkeys, donkeys that have the privilege of carrying the Son of God with us wherever we go. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. I'm so grateful for this picture. But even more, Father, I know me and I know my heart and I know how every morning I wake up and I want you to be my servant. God, thank you that you're not. Thank you that you don't live as my servant according to my whims and needs and emotions. Thank you that you're bigger than that, bigger than I ever thought you were. And Father, I pray that you help us, help me see you for who you are and allow me to be who I am 
because you came not to be served, but to serve. And when you are God in my life, and when I allow you to be God in my life and not me be God in my life, everything changes. Father, help me see that. Help us see that. Help us be not a stallion, but a donkey. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.